Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24 7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24 hour streaming channel serving nonstop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Hello and welcome to another edition of the USC Triple Double Podcast. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, along with my co-host, Connor Morissette, Mr. Triple Double himself. Connor, how are we doing today? Doing well. We have some winning to talk about. That hasn't always been the case this season. <laughs> the sun is shining. The birds are chirping, all because the USC basketball teams are both on a winning streak again. Okay, maybe all that isn't true, at least not here in New Jersey, where there's a 100% chance of rain today, which means I will be in the basement having to shop back up uh, some wet floors and stuff later, I'm pretty sure. But the USC men's and women's teams are both, both currently on win streaks. They both have big home games coming up as well to see if they can continue that. One for the men, taking care of business at home. For the women, big opportunity at home. Playing against UCLA, that rematch, can you get a little revenge and get some momentum going forward as they take on some other teams and hit the road a little bit? For any first-time listeners, the USC Triple Double Podcast, part of the Peristyle Podcast family of shows, it's our first basketball-focused podcast on the network. Shh, don't tell Ryan Abraham. I don't know if he knows that. I think we're still flying under the radar a little bit. But, Connor... Looking at this week, you know, we didn't know exactly when we were going to podcast, but we've got a special guest that's going to join us in the second half of the show after our break. Uh, Jay Morris, the assistant men's basketball coach, is going to join us. So, you know, we weren't sure are we going to talk before the Washington State game? We're going to talk after the Washington State game with the men because it's a little bit unique of a week because they play on Wednesday. And part of the reason why they're playing on Wednesday this week is because it's a split week. You know, this is not something normal in the Pac-12. They have a home game against Washington State, and then they go on the road to play Colorado. Normally, you you are with your travel partner. USC and UCLA are traveling to the Bay Area. They're traveling to Washington. They're traveling to Oregon or vice versa. Um, and you play both teams usually on Thursday and Saturday or Thursday and Sunday. This week is split up a little bit for USC, so a little bit different. So we decided to go early because that fit the schedule for Jay Morris a little bit better. So we've got a couple games to talk about from the women's side, one game to talk about from the men's side the last week, and then we'll jump into looking forward and seeing you know what, what is to come for, for the men and women uh, in the next week or so. Three wins if you combine them, two for the women, one for the men, like you said. And I think earlier in the week works better for us, Shotgun, because 
we're talking about win streaks here for both teams. And like we said off the top, the men, they haven't had a win streak since November. The women, they've done a lot more winning than the men. So just seems like a good time. Isaiah Collier on the men's side is playing a lot better basketball, and I'm excited to dive in here. Yeah, let's look back at what just happened. The three wins you talked about, the USC women were able to beat hand Oregon State, their first loss. They won 56-54 in that game, you know, really tight game throughout. Oregon State had chances down the stretch. They had a three-pointer that could have put them ahead. I think maybe even two three-pointers late that could have put them ahead. And then on the final possession, uh, a second opportunity and then a third opportunity, Reagan Beers, their star forward, sophomore forward, has two opportunities down by the rim, misses both of them. You know, tough uh, defense there from USC as well that would have tied the game, sent it to overtime. Instead, USC is able to find a way to get a win in that game. Uh, they win 56-54. Then they take on Oregon. They pull away in that game very tight in the fourth quarter. You know, they'd kind of led been six, eight points up most of the game. And then Oregon tightens it up late in the third quarter, early in the fourth quarter. But USC runs away at the end with an 18-5 run. And then on the men's side, just put up points. Just, you know, make shots, make a ton of shots. And they win 93 to 79 over Stanford, a game where, you know, Stanford's a team that's been putting up points, put up 100 against Arizona. So I don't know how we're going to look at this with, a, do we say, okay, they held Stanford to 79, or, you know, is that still not good enough? Uh, but you saw the big three, the, the, the trio of guards all play really well. Career high, 26 points for Isaiah Carr. Career high, 21 points or tied a career high for Kobe Johnson. And then Boogie Ellis was very consistent. He had 17 points in the first half, but kind of filled up the stat sheet as well as someone like Kobe Johnson, who had five rebounds, five assists, five steals, two blocks, and a big goose egg in the turnover column. And that's huge for him. They only had six turnovers. I think you look at these three games, and we'll combine the men and women here, they had 17 turnovers in three games for you know the two teams combined. The women had five turnovers against Oregon State and only six turnovers against Oregon, and the men only had six turnovers. And that was huge because in that Oregon game for the women, they forced 14 turnovers that led to 19 points. For the men, they forced 18 turnovers against Stanford that led to 25 points. So that's huge. You know, those extra possessions and, and taking care of the basketball was really big. What stood out to you the most? Let's go ahead and jump into our triple-double. What stood out to you about the women's performance, I guess, this week? We'll start there. Sure, sounds good. Going 2-0 and on the week is always significant, so I start there. But breaking down that Oregon State game, Juju Watkins on defense, five blocks. That really stood out to me, her performance against the Beavers, when a lot of those shots weren't falling. We saw her take 33 shots from the field, which Lindsey Gottlieb, I think, would tell you that's probably too many, even for the USC star player. But defensively, I felt like Juju Watkins was really locked in in that game. The team was really locked in in that game, holding the Beavers to 54 points. But Juju's five blocks, I thought, really encapsulated the defensive effort that the team gave. I was really impressed by that. And then I'll just quickly here shuffle through my other two. Caleb Padilla had a huge game against Oregon State. One of the players of the game along with Juju in that one. Four or five from deep, five or six from the floor. She was huge. And Rhea Marshall had a bounce back game against Oregon, which I think is significant. She was six of eight from the floor, 16 points, nine rebounds, and zero turnovers. So we're seeing individual efforts for USC stack up. And players are like Padilla and Rhea Marshall, who have been a little bit up and down this season. They had great weeks. And... Now heading into UCLA, can you put it all together if all those players are doing well with with Marshall Padilla and Juju, USC will have a real chance against the Bruins. 
Yeah, Kayla Padilla is definitely one of mine. She was money against Oregon State. She started the game five of five. She missed her last shot in the fourth quarter, but she also hit a big three uh, that that put them up by I believe five, and then you know the lead shrank a little bit there. But she basically the the bucket that gave them enough room because at late in the game. USC didn't score. They didn't score for the final 217 of the game. Um, and that's something that's a little bit concerning. You know, the, the there's been some times, some stretches late in games where they haven't been able to get a bucket. Um, but they found a way. That was my number one thing is they found a way to hand Oregon State their first loss. They didn't play great, but they played really good defense. You know, offense was inefficient. Uh, like you mentioned with, with Juju shooting. Um, but they only shot 32%. Look at a lot of the numbers. And Oregon State's just barely ahead, except for that big turnover area. Um, so, you know, the the, the turnovers really played. In fact, USC only had 13 points off turnovers this game, but Oregon State only had four because USC had five turnovers. So that's a nine-point swing right there, and that's, you know, a huge difference in a two-point game. So they found a way to get that win. I thought that was really big, in, in, you know, playing a, a team that's undefeated on the season. I mentioned Kayla Padilla. And my third one is impact in your role. And by that, I mean, you know, what can you do to impact? And I, you know, if you look in that Oregon game, they got huge impacts off the bench from Taylor Bigby and Malia Samuels. Now, Bigby had eight points. She had four assists. Those aren't, you know, outlandish numbers or anything, but she was plus 21 in that game. When when you when she was on the court, USC was plus 21. Um, so I thought she had a really big impact, even though she played, uh, I'm trying to look it up right here, um, she played 28 minutes off the bench. She's, you know, their 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 primary uh, bench player, but plus 21. And then Malia Samuels only played 11 minutes, but she was plus 12, or USC was plus 12 when she was in the game. Five assists, a steal, a block. She didn't have a point, but she made an impact. She had the big steal late and then set up Juju Watkins on the break and it ended up being an and one and kind of was the the you know the the straw to break the camel's back. Uh, so, you know, I thought both of those, those players coming off the bench and we've seen it, you know, Mackenzie Forbes kind of finding her way. And if Kayla Padilla can be a knockdown shooter for them, you know, that changes the di- dynamic as well. So, you know, finding your role and making an impact in that role, you know, I thought that was really big this week for the, for the women of Troy. And that hasn't always been consistent this year. Players, we look at the UCLA game, I mean, after Juju and, McKenzie, Raya Marshall has six points. Players didn't really live up to their roles in that one. And I think it's huge as the team continues to play this season, finds their identity. If you can claw out a role, just do anything to help McKenzie Forbes, to help Raya Marshall, to help Juju Watkins, you're going to play on this on this team with Lindsey Gottlieb. So I, I agree with you, Shotgun, there. For me, looking at the, the two negatives here. So I, I think USC, they probably deserve to lose to Oregon State. But sometimes you got to get a little bit lucky they give up that pretty good look to the Beavers on the final possession for three, and then that doesn't go, and then they get the offensive rebound. Oregon State does. Reagan Beers gets a look that she usually hits, as you mentioned, didn't, and then Ray Marshall had a block on the last shot. But getting three opportunities in that last possession for Oregon State, USC sort of avoided a disaster there. and They didn't play bad defense, but two of those looks were pretty good, and Going forward, I would imagine Oregon State would make one of those if they do play again, and it's similar in in that area. And then the other one for me, shotgun against Oregon, a team that's just not as good this season. Juju still has to play 37 minutes, and, and you really needed everything from her to finish that game strong. 
And that was a game where I, I just watched the previous one against Oregon State. Juju goes out in the fourth quarter for a little bit with a cramp. And I, I thought the Oregon game, I know you have a week off between Oregon and UCLA, but needing to play Juju 37 minutes in that one, that to me is a little bit concerning because I just think as the Pac-12 play continues here, Juju, you're obviously going to need her. She's going to play a lot. But I thought Oregon, maybe that was a game she didn't need to play almost 40 minutes. And at the end of it, USC still needs everything from her. And they get a win, which is huge. I'm just a little bit concerned about her usage. Yeah, and you got to get her some pickle juice, got to get some uh, PDLI, whatever it takes, because uh, there's been a couple of games where she's had some cramp issues um, with the hamstrings or with the the calves. Um, so, you know, and that all comes down to usage because freshmen, you see this at times, you know, you get in the middle of the season, like you're not used to the toll of playing as many games as frequently and you know, it's 40 minutes versus the high school game being a 32 minute game. So, you know, she's playing a ton of minutes. She's doing a ton. And my negative actually is her inefficiency recently. You know, Juju has been carrying this team offensively and putting up big numbers, but the last four games, it hasn't been efficient. And that's what we were so impressed by her early in the season. The last four games, she's 32 of 93, 93 shots is a ton of shots in four games but only shooting 34%. Now she's shooting back at 50%. You can shoot 93. You can shoot 150 if you want, if you're back around 50%, which is where she was for most of the season. But she's dipped down to 44% for the season. So that's one that you're definitely concerned about, at least for me. Um, And I think part of it is, again, the wear and tear, she's not getting a, a ton of lift on her shots like she normally does. So some of those jumpers are a lot of jumpers. It seems like are short or she's trying to push it a little bit more because she's not, she just doesn't have her legs. And I don't know if that's, you know, she was ill and she's maybe she's still getting back over that exactly what's going on there. But you know, it's been inefficient the last couple of games for her. So that's a big key for them to try to beat UCLA is can you get, her back being efficient, an efficient scorer, because she'll put up 25 against UCLA. We kind of expect that. But is it going to be on 33 shots like it was against Oregon State? Is it going to be on, you know, 20 shots? Is it going to be on 15 shots? You know, can you get to the line? You know, and I think it was the uh, Oregon, I don't know, excuse me, the Ohio State game, she had 18 shots. She scored 32 points in 31 minutes, super efficient as far as your time usage there. Uh, because she was in foul trouble, but 11 of 18, only 18 shots to get 32 points versus Oregon State, 33 shots to get 28 points. And, and, you know, similar against Oregon, you know, just it was a little bit better against Oregon, uh, but in the the fourth quarter. Now, I say all that, she still carried the team in that Oregon State game with a 9-0 run, gave them a lead early in the fourth quarter, um, and she didn't make anything late in the game. She missed, I think, her last five or it may have been a a more efficient game there for as well. And then my second negative um, was in the Oregon, uh, excuse me, the Oregon state game, USC. We talked about the final possession defensively. You can't give up that, those offensive rebounds, the possession before that though, when USC had the ball, Lindsay Gottlieb didn't call timeout. And I thought that was a misuse of her, uh, from her. And we've given her flowers. She's doing a phenomenal job. So I'm still feel fine with with being critical as well this was the opportunity i thought they should have called timeout they had two timeouts remaining especially there's about 12 seconds left on the shot clock and the ball kind of gets poked away and you're way away back to the basket like this would be a time like let's call a timeout let's reset and let's get something moving forward towards the basket because they didn't get a great shot on that final possession offensively and that it's a huge possession you know if you score there 
you're not down three, the game's over. If you score, it's now a two-possession game. It just completely changes the uh, the whole dynamic of what Oregon State can do and the fact that you aren't going to lose on one shot. And that was the case. You know, that first shot goes up from, uh, I think it was Talia from, from Oregon State, put up the, the three-pointer, and you go, oh, is that going to go in? Are they going to be down and have to you know get a late bucket to win in? Is there going to be a buzzer beater potential? And they missed it because Oregon State actually was only one of nine in the fourth quarter on, on three-pointers. So USC, and that wasn't necessarily USC's defense playing really well. And Oregon State didn't shoot well in this game. They had some open looks in the fourth quarter in particular, but they were 8 of 32 from three-point range, a ton of threes. Now they shoot a ton, um, but you know they only shot 25%. Uh, I thought that USC's defense was really good on Reagan Beers. But that at the that cost the cost of that was giving up some wide open three pointers and they were fortunate to be able to escape with that win. But they did find a way to win. That's why it was one of my my positives. But I, I didn't really like that last possession on the offensive side for USC. So that's my negative. How about over the men's side, Connor? What do you got for some positivity uh, for the triple portion of our triple double? Well, like I wrote in my game story after that Stanford win. This is what it was supposed to look like with Isaiah Collier <laughs> scoring 26, Boogie 22, Kobe 21. Maybe that's too far in the good direction because I don't think USC has had three scorers over 20 points in like five years I saw on Twitter. So maybe it wasn't always supposed to be that good. But I, I think that was sort of what Andy Enfield and the staff was expecting, at least offensively. The guards for USC, Isaiah, Boogie, and Kobe, were going to carry the team this year and for whatever reason, they'd been pretty inconsistent. If Boogie Ellis has a huge game against Gonzaga, the other two guys struggle. And if Boogie struggles, I think like he did in that game against Long Beach State, then it just hasn't looked as good as it maybe should have so far. But against Stanford, man, did it really look good. Collier, career high. Boogie Ellis, so efficient. Kobe Johnson doing a little bit of everything. Those three guys are the leaders, especially on offense, and they really played like it. They put it all together, so have to start there. And then only six turnovers. I mean – that has not been USC all season. <laughs> Usually it's six per half and to only have six against Stanford, big time improvement. You talked about the 17 turnovers combined between the three teams, the women, they haven't been turning the ball over really all year. The men, this is something new and that's really encouraging. And then I don't know if this is a good or a bad shotgun, but a new identity for the men, at least they're winning by outscoring teams. The defense can still be improved for sure, but Maybe this is the way to to get over the hump and beat some of these better teams in the Pac-12. The defense, it could be hit or miss, but if you're scoring a lot of points and you're trying to run and gun and push the pace a little bit more, is that the key to beating some of these teams? Maybe it's not the Andy Enfield ideal way to beat teams. He'd want to defend better, but maybe does he have to adjust and just say, we're going to go crazy on offense, try to get a lot of possessions, score fast not turn the ball over, be efficient. And then on defense, that leaves us a little bit of a margin for error. I don't know if that's sustainable. I don't know if you can do that against Arizona or Colorado here coming up next week on the road. But I think right now they're winning games, scoring a lot of points, and the offense has been better. You just got to take that and hope for the best. So it's a good for me, but we'll see what happens. It all comes down to you know that whole philosophy, that whole potential of being an identity, all comes down to Isaiah Collier, in my opinion because he can push the tempo so so much because he's just, he's a bull. He gets downhill. You're not stopping him in the open court. You can only hope that he gets an offensive foul. That's really the only way that you're, you're slowing him down is to get a body in front of him and hope that the refs make a bad call and, you know, that he gets offensive uh, foul called. 
when he's playing like he has the last two games with two turnovers combined in two games, USC is a completely different team. And that's why they've been winning. Now, value possessions is what I had on mine for one of my positives. You know, only six turnovers while scoring 25 points off of Stanford's 18 turnovers. And again, that comes back to Isaiah Carr. He had two early turnovers in this game and in the first probably five minutes. So he went the, you know, the, the rest of the 35 minutes, the final 35 minutes without a turnover. Um, I also had Mr. Do Something. So that was the nickname or it still is the nickname for uh, D'Anthony Melton. You know, I think it started at Crespi. I don't know if, if it was started at Crespi or at USC, but he's always – his role is let me go do something. And Mr. Do Something right now for USC is Kobe Johnson. He has come back alive. You know, the four threes tying uh, a career high – in the in the the cow game, got him going, and then we saw him. He was efficient. He made, knocked down some turnarounds. You know, he just played with so much more confidence in that Stanford game. And the cow game was like an aha. Okay, he's he's broken out. The Stanford game was okay. He's playing with confidence, and this looks so much different. He was nine of eighteen, but again, five rebounds, five assists, five steals, two blocks, and zero turnovers. Don't try to do too much but do something. And he did that. I, I thought he was fantastic in the game. That's why, you know, scoring 21. Tiny career high is always going to be a, a positive, but on 9 of 18 shooting, so efficient there. Um, only had one free throw and made it. The Your starting guards, you know, we mentioned them all having 20 points, but they made 11 three-pointers. If your starting guards make 11 three-pointers on, I think it was like 50 or 60% shooting, uh, better than 50%, you're going to win a lot of games. Now we'll get to a negative in a minute uh, of you know, someone else has got to help them out. But those three guys were fantastic. And uh, you know, I had sharp shooting as my third positive because the team was 14 to 24 from three. Now those three guys carried the load there, especially Boogie Ellis hitting six of eight. You know, like I said, he had 17 in the first half of that game. He got banged up a little bit. Some uh, looked like he was cramping up a little bit. So another guy get the pickle juice out or whatever it may be. Uh, him and Juju Watkins can share jar pickles or something uh, to, to keep help with the cramps. But yeah, he didn't have to do as much in the second half because everyone was flowing. The the offense flowed really well. They shared the ball so well. You know, we, we talked about the turnovers, but 18 assists. You know, if USC gets 18 assists to six turnovers, you get three to one. I have a lot of confidence they'll win a good amount of games, and that'll look a lot like the team we anticipated coming into the season. One other thing on Kobe Johnson, I felt like he was taking it personally when he was guarding Andre Stoyakovic, Peja's son in that game, who had been having some good games, but it's clear that he needs to develop a little bit more to reach the NBA potential that he has. I, I don't know if he's a one-and-done guy, but for whatever reason, it just looked like Kobe Johnson was having fun defending him. And he was really <laughs> like, yeah, you might have this NBA blood, but you're not going to score on me. And he he really struggled in that game. And I feel like if Stoyakovich had a, a better game in this one, maybe Stanford does outscore USC. And he was sort of the missing link, I thought, for the Cardinal in that one. And that all comes back to, to Kobe Johnson, too. But I just wanted to shout out that defense and that matchup. Moving over now, though, to my two negatives defensively real quick on, on oh, Kobe sorry, Johnson to continue. Yeah. Um, when he's playing, when he's playing with confidence, he's talking trash out there <laughs> Oh yeah, and getting in <laughs> people's grill because that's what he does defensively. And so I don't know that we've seen that in the last couple of games. 
Like it, you can't talk as much trash when you're being really inefficient on the offensive end. You're turning the ball over. Like it's hard to, you know, be like, I'm locking you down type of thing. They're like, you just threw the ball away three times in a row on the other end. Like, I don't care that you're locking me down. The rest of the team is scoring because you're the rest of your team can't play defense. So again, I think that all goes back to his confidence and it's a great sign for USC that, you know, that he's playing with a lot of confidence right now because they do have a really important, but also tough stretch coming up. Totally agree with you there. It's tough to talk trash when even if forget about him playing well, just the team, if the team is, well, it's like, okay, like nice play there, but you guys are down. Okay. So let me move over here to those two negatives. I got my tabs mixed up. Here we go. So the first one was the, the Stanford defense in the second half. I mean, the Cardinal, they're a good offensive team. They put up a hundred points in Arizona. So they're, they're talented, but 61.5% in the second half for Stanford against USC at USC. I don't think that is a recipe for success for, for, for USC. They, they played really well on offense, so they were able to overcome it. They executed really well down the stretch, which was huge. The last five minutes, USC really stepped it up, but Stanford was in that game for a long time because they shot so well. And some of that was just Stanford making shots, but some of it also was, was USC not defending as well as they should be. So the, the defense is still an issue. And if they don't fix that, at least get it a little bit better. Season might be down the tube here if this road trip doesn't go very well. And then the free throws for as well as the guards played, there were nine missed free throws in this one. Isaiah Collier still struggling from the line. I, I just feel like that combo shotgun of not playing defense up to the USC standard that we've seen the last few years and then missing free throws. I don't care how well you play on offense. That needs to be tightened up, especially with a team that has no margin for error here already with the seven losses. So uh, if they can improve at the line and defensively, uh, they'll have a great shot, but I, I don't know what they've done this year to show me that they can do that. This has been a problem all year. Yeah. I, I have the defense as well. My negatives, the, the free throw shooting was not great. They, they did finish off the game fine, finish making a couple of late. Um, Bronny James was only two of five in the game, as well as Collier missing three. Uh, Got to get better there. But my two negatives were the defense is still not good enough. Like scoring 93 points is impressive. But you have so much better opportunity to win if your opponent is under 70 points. Now, nine points may not seem like a ton or 10 points if you want to hold them under 70. But – in the grand scheme of things, in a 40-minute game, it is, you know, with two halves and college basketball, the 30-second clock, all that type of stuff. If you can hold them under, under 70, you have such a better chance to win than allowing a team to have 79 because the shooting is not always going to be there for USC. How how many times have they shot 56% from three? It's not been something that has been a, a, a common occurrence. Now, they created those shots by sharing the ball, all those type of things. Those are positive. They scored 54 points in the second half. They also gave up 44 points. That's just too many. It's too many points to be given up, um, even in a game like this. Then my other negative is the lack of forward progress. You say, wait, wait, forward progress, that's a that's a football term, right? No, look at the forwards on USC's team, and we're not seeing a bunch of progress from them. They can't figure out who they want to start because they want to start Josh Morgan's defense, and they want to start someone else's offense. Now, Josh Morgan has, has finished at the rim, really well and he's shooting a good percentage you got to get the ball in his hands at the rim though and that's been an issue on some of the pick and rolls and stuff they just don't have that dynamic forward that they can run pick and roll with and then put the ball in someone's hands in space and they can go create for them 
Um, our, our boy Gavin Morris was courtside for, I guess it was Clippers and, and the Suns um, last night and was there to see in part to see Chemezi Metu from the Suns. And Chemezi gets a ball, the, the clip that Gavin had, and he gets the ball at the top of the key, like three or four dribbles, goes between his legs, you know, shoots off the dribble, and at you know, it's six foot ten. Now, granted, he, he didn't really have that full complement uh, of offensive arsenal when he was at USC, but he had much better one. He could knock down that mid-range jumper. He could take the ball off the dribble for a couple dribbles. The bigs on this team can't do that right now. And if they don't make more progress, you're putting so much on that trio of guards to carry you that when one of them has an off night, are you done for? Like if you if Kobe has eleven instead of twenty one, or somebody has you know they don't all score twenty, somebody has ten points less. Now suddenly it's a it's a very tight game at the end. Whereas you know can someone pick up and score? You know, get three more buckets at the rim, or you know, get some get to the free throw line and make some free throws. The forwards just aren't doing enough, in, in my opinion. They're not making enough progress for this team to be considered a contender in the Pac-12 right now. Totally agree. I think with Josh Morgan, Andy Enfield's decided he's going to be the guy, and Vince Iwachuku at center is going to be the backup. I just think that Josh, for his faults, you know what he's going to give you. He's better on the defensive end. He, Shooting percentage is pretty good, but you're right. You, you got to get him the ball at the rim. USC just knows what he can do and what he can't do. And with Vince, it's kind of like a wild card. He might have that 15-point sure. performance like he did, I think, in one of the losses recently. He, he played really well. But then in other games, he's having trouble catching the ball. And I just think the consistency of Josh Morgan and Andy Enfield is going to roll with him. And then you you, you mentioned Shemezi Medu. I mean, the other – forwards on this team dj rodman just plays more like a guard so i even you know don't want to call him much of a forward but harrison hornery who has that body of a forward he plays more like a guard and then it's kajani Wright, it's it's vince it's Arrington page those guys are, are just not quite there offensively and i don't i don't think the staff trust a lot of those guys defensively it's a big issue and i don't exactly know how it gets better i think you just have to rely on the guards to do a lot of scoring josh morgan to play his role and Again, I don't know if that's a recipe for success, but I totally agree with what you're saying. I, I expected more from these forwards, more from these big men, and it just hasn't happened. And, and it's a tough conundrum for the coaching staff. And maybe we'll ask Jay Morris about it. Is you know, you know what you're gonna get from Josh Morgan. The upside is much higher with Vincey with Chukwu on the offensive end, even much higher with Arrington Page. Uh, but you don't know that you're gonna get it night in, night out. But you need to get them playing time at the same time so they can be improving going towards that. So it, it, that's a tough position that coaches are put in, you know, at the college level of trying to build up people, get them playing time. At the same time, you got to win games and, you know, who's going to be consistent for you and who's going to give you, uh, you know, the minutes on both ends of the court that you know what you're going to get and, you know, that can help you win the game. So it's a tough situation to be in um, when, you know, those are, there are those ups and downs that you have with those young players. I totally agree. And I don't know what the answer is. I think you just got to keep practicing and maybe someone shows you something in practice and then they can build some confidence, but it's a tough time to sort of have this issue right in the heart of pac 12 play. This was a problem that ideally would have been resolved in the off season and not in the off season in the non-conference and USC just had a bunch of issues in the non-conference. So uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. This all goes back to Vincey, which we having back surgery 
missing all the offseason. This goes back to him missing the majority of last season with the after the heart condition and issue. So uh, that all for his development, he's the guy that just he needed to be in the Drew League all summer playing. He needed just extra reps, 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 reps. And unfortunately, that didn't happen because of the back injury he had to have the surgery for. So he's a kid we still are very high on. Um, and, you know, I, I think you're going to see and maybe you see that you, there's going to be a jump. Now, whether it has to happen over the offseason or if at some point it happens a season where he takes a big jump and it's like something clicks and he's ready to go and he changes. And if that's the case, that adds a different element to this USC team and changes them a lot, I think, uh, because then, you know, whether he starts or comes off the bench, just that that weapon that threat as an offensive side, like that's not right there right now. Harrison Horner, even when he comes in, like at least he gives you the threat of being a three-point shooter. Now he hasn't been pretty consistent, so that's been a, a difficult part there. But yeah, so the, the forwards, you just need a little bit more from them. But let's go back to the guards. Let's talk about our star number one recruits in the country, our Juice Juice segment. Juju Watkins, we talked about her a little bit inefficient right now, but still has been starring for this USC team. I believe she's still second in the country in scoring. Now down to 26.1. Oh, no, Connor, 26.1, not 26.8 anymore, um, and averaging 7.3 rebounds. I think that's one of the, the more impressive stats from her as well. And it has been spectacular for USC, almost four assists per game. She's been really good. A little bit higher assist to turnover ratio. That's a positive there. That's something, a number that, you know, has been up and down a little bit. But she, the five blocks really stood out for sure. Um, and then Isaiah Collier on the other side, like we said, career high in assists against Cal two games ago, career high in points against Stanford. He's been really impressive the last couple of games with only two turnovers. What caught your eye or your ear about Juju Watkins and or Isaiah Collier this week? Well, starting with Juju, just to what I said earlier with the usage, now USC, they have six days off until the UCLA game. They played Sunday. They or No, they have a full week off. So it's Sunday to Sunday. They, they have seven days. And Juju, she was sick for that Long Beach State game before USC had that long break prior to playing UCLA last time. And I'm just interested to see how this longer break before UCLA affects her because like I said, she was sick. So how long did that last? Was that break not as long as maybe it should have been if she was still battling an illness? They had nine days off, but if she was sick for that first half of the break, it's not like a real break. So now that she's healthy and feeling better, I'm still nervous about the usage, but having a week off and being healthy, I think that should lead to her playing better against UCLA, especially with the game being at home. But I think that the rest of the season shotgun her usage is something that it's just going to be fascinating because you're not playing Long Beach state anymore. You're not playing Cal state Fullerton anymore, where if Juju's out or she's really limited, you can still get by. I think obviously they, they need her. And when she's out of these games, it, it has not been pretty against better competition. So just her staying healthy and, and her resting and just her usage is something the rest of the year I'm going to be watching because I, I think that's played a role in her not being as efficient. I just think she's a little bit tired right now. So I'm glad they have this week off and that's what I'll be watching the rest of the year for sure. Well, it's not going to get any lighter as far as her schedule because now classes start and everything else. And now that USC is top 10, the fans are going to be coming out. You, all your students should be coming out a little bit more pressure, a little more, you know, Everyone wants to chit-chat you in class, all those type of things. So I don't think it's going to get lighter 
you know, when conference play hits like the like it is, and with the conference they're in with so many quality teams, but we'll see. Uh, Isaiah Collier really stood out to me is just the the passing has really, you know, he's just he's moving the ball more. The ball is not getting stuck on offense, and I think same thing on the on the women's side. When the ball gets stuck, neither one of these teams is good. Now Juju can create her own shot. Mackenzie Forbes can create her own shot, but. You're taking a lot of contested shots, and that's when the offense kind of bogs down a little bit. It's just when they go iso ball and try to create without moving the ball because they have so many different people who can score. Now, that hasn't been consistent for them this season, but when they move the ball, it just looks different. And I think Isaiah Collier, that's been the case the last couple of games where he hasn't tried to just attack head down, you know, one-on-one, try to get to the rim himself. He's creating for others, but the ball is moving a lot more and he's knocked down some open shots. He's not been terrific, but the fact that he hit a couple threes in that in that Stanford game, you know, definitely stood out for sure. I mean, he was what three or four in that game. He made his first three, and that's a big confidence booster for him. If he can continue to shoot at a positive clip, I mean, it, it again it changes the dynamic because now you have to come out and guard him a little bit more. That opens up the driving lanes even more. So. All those things go hand in hand, but and, you know both of the both of those players have been fantastic all season. Isaiah Collier had his lull. Maybe Juju's having her lull right now as far as the inefficiency. Now we're seeing Isaiah Collier. Maybe he's figured some things out a little bit and it's starting to take off. We'll see if Juju if that happens the next couple of games for her. How about our stunting like my daddy segment with Bronny James? Probably his worst game so far. Did not make much of an impact. He was 0-4 on from the on the field, missed all three of his three-pointers. Came in and, you know, I think he shot three shots pretty quickly uh, and, you know, missed all three of them. Went to the free throw line, missed some free throws, only two of five there. Uh, what did you see from from Bronny in this, this one-game segment that we had uh, uh, against Stanford? Well, I think when the other guards are scoring as much as they are, it's okay for Bronny to have an off game, clearly. And the reason he's played over Oziah Sellers so much since he's come back is his defense. And mm-hmm. I thought defensively he still was solid in this one. So if the shot isn't falling, you're struggling at the free throw line. How else can you affect the game? Brian knows it's on defense taught well by his father, I'm sure. And so that <laughs> charge that he took early in, I think it was maybe not early in the, the first half, but right before halftime when Stanford, they were obviously going to take a timeout and Bronny sort of read the situation and, and, and took a charge. That was a really smart play, but you're right. Overall, he did struggle in this game. The fact that USC was able to overcome that was significant. He still played 20 minutes because I, I think Andy Enfield really does value his defense on a team that hasn't defended at the highest level so far this season. And you're going to have off games, but defensively, if you can be consistent there, you're always going to get on the court. And I think that's sort of what Bronny showed in this game. I do shotgun wonder if like, if your dad's LeBron James and your just shot isn't falling and he's sitting there right in the front row, that would affect me. (laughs) I I feel like I'd be nervous. (laughs) But dad doesn't get to make it to all the games. So I got to perform when he is there. Yeah. yeah, That type of thing. So, uh, he didn't shoot well, but like you said, they, he played 19 minutes, uh, 19, 20 minutes, which has been basically his max, and that was because he played defense. He had two steals, two rebounds, one assist, no turnovers. So he's not going to hurt you in other places is, is the big thing. So other guys may get blown by. They may turn the ball over. That's not going to be the case with Bronny. So that's the reason why you can continue to play him as much as you want or as much as he can 
even if he's not making shots for you, because he can still impact the, the game in other ways. And the, the drawing the charge is a great, great point as well. Let's move on to our where they stand, where we got the uh, the women and men standing right now heading into this week of action. Well, they're still number nine in the AP poll, and in the net they dropped one spot to 13th. But what's continued to impress me with them, the, the three-point shooting, they're 22nd in the nation and they're not turning the ball over 25th in turnover margin, 13th in the country and fewest turnovers per game. It's just a recipe for success with them. Defensively, they're playing well as well. And then I just like what I see. They don't turn the ball over. They play good defense. And when you do that, you're going to be in a lot of games. So 13th in the net in the Pac-12, they're two and one tied for second with two other teams. They're behind three undefeated teams. I can't wait for Pac-12 play to unfold on the women's side just because night in and night out, there's so many talented teams. <laughs> Uh, on the men's side, they're still struggling in uh, a number of categories. The three-point defense continues to go down, though. They're now 320th in the nation. Teams are shooting 36%. Stanford shot 59% in this game. They made 13 of 22, uh, and that's from their defense. You know, When you get beat off the dribble, now that creates someone has to step up, swing it, all those type of things. So if the defense doesn't improve, it's just – it's. So tough to see this team going to run if they don't play better defense. And it's not, there's nothing that has shown like, oh, okay, suddenly this is looking a little bit better. It's not not necessarily the case. They are up to 84th in the net. They're currently tied for fourth in, in the Pac 12 standings at two and two. A chance to move to three and two. As we preview going forward, they will play Washington State on Wednesday this week. Washington State. Nine and five, I believe, coming in. They've lost four or five. That'll be a Wednesday night game, 7.30 p.m. on FS1. You can watch the men on national television. The women's team, who's a better team, you don't get to watch on national television. So you better get that Pac-12 network. Uh, But Washington State, we talked about them last week um, because we didn't know exactly when we would be uh, doing this podcast. But Miles Rice is now their leading scorer. He's averaging 14.6 points. Miles Rice... I think sounds familiar maybe because he's been around a little while for Washington state, but he actually missed the last two years with leukemia. So he's had, he's defeated cancer during, I think May is when he was able to ring the bell uh, March or May last year. So to see him back and he's a dynamic player, he gets downhill really well. Uh, I watched some of them, the playing against Oregon over the weekend and he really attacks the basket is you know, super quick with the ball in the open court. So he's a guy at USC is going to have to slow down. We mentioned Isaac Jones as well, uh, who had, had, was their leading scorer. He hasn't scored as much the last couple of games, Idaho transfer. But Washington State comes in, team that we don't know a ton about as far as a ton of new players. Um, and Miles Rice coming back, Isaac Jones, you know, being an Idaho transfer. But there's not a lot of guys from last year's team, so USC needs to take care of business. There's a team that's struggling right now. They played pretty well at Oregon, but – you know, they couldn't keep up. They couldn't play enough defense. Oregon made shot after shot after shot. USC needs to do the same thing. This is an opportunity to to fall into Connor Morissette's uh, strategy of just outscore, just put up 95 points and win the game. Uh, we'll see what they can do there. Uh, what stands out to you about Washington State and then, uh, you know, a couple games that we'll look at going forward as well? Just their classic case of the easy non-conference schedule, beefed up their record a little bit, and now heading into Pac-12 play, they just – haven't been as good. So you're absolutely right, Chuck. And it's a team that at home, you, you got to be even on the road, you would have to beat Washington State. The margin for error with the men is not really there due to having the seven losses. So this is one you can't drop. 
it gets really interesting from here though at Colorado and then at Arizona after Washington state. And then uh, at Arizona state after that, I look at those three games as you've got to go two and one and three and zero would be great. But I, I think you're still in a good spot. If you're two and one, one and two season's not over in the middle of January, but you just need to win more games than you've been winning. So I, those are three good teams. Colorado's had some injury problems, so they got killed by Arizona. We'll see how healthy they are when USC plays them. But it's three teams that that are talented and a chance for USC to show, hey, we maybe weren't good a couple of weeks ago, but we're figuring a few things out. I, I just look at that road trip. I think that's going to be the key to the rest of the season. Yeah, they'll play at Colorado on Saturday at 7 p.m. Pacific time on ESPN2. Colorado 11-4, and four, now 2-2 two and two after the two losses. They didn't just lose to Arizona. They lost by like <laughs> 45 points. Like it was a complete disaster for Colorado in that game. Um, and then the team that gave them that disaster is who USC will face next. Playing at Arizona in the McHale Center is never a fun proposition for USC teams. Uh, they've won once there in like 30 years. It's something ridiculous. They did win up there a couple years ago uh, and may have been – I don't. I can't remember if it was the Evan Mobley year when there's no fans or what exactly it was, but it's only it's been super rare. So that's a super tough place to play. They are really good at home and they're really talented. You got Caleb Love, the transfer from North Carolina, coming in and scores a bunch of points. They got Keisha Johnson, the the transfer from San Diego State, who does a little bit of everything. It was a guy that USC really wanted and could could not get. So, but they're not unbeatable. Stanford proved that by scoring a hundred on them. They don't play great defense. They're not a great defensive team, so you can score with them. So the question will be is, does USC have a lengthy stretch where they don't score the ball, and that becomes you fall down by 10, 12 points, and suddenly you can't catch up? That's been the case at times against Arizona in the past. That'll be next Wednesday at 7 p.m. on ESPN. Wanted to go ahead and mention that just in case we don't know exactly when we're going to be podcasting next week. Going to try to get more consistent as the season goes along here now that the conference schedule started. But, you know, Arizona 12 and 3, 3 and 1. They were the number one team at one point, I believe. At least they gotten up to number two. I think they moved up, but now 12 and 3. Uh, they slid down. I think they were ninth the last I saw for them. So that'll be an interesting one. Like you said, you got to probably go 2 and 1 on this stretch if you want it because there's not a ton of opportunities for quad one wins either in this conference. So you got to make some moves on the road and against the best teams, and we'll see if USC can do that. On the women's side, one game this week, they will play Sunday at 2 p.m. It'll be on Pac-12 LA. Unfortunately, if you don't have the Pac-12 networks, get to the Galen Center. It's going to potentially be a sellout. They're playing UCLA, who is 14-0, number two in the nation. They beat USC a couple weeks ago, 71-64 in Poly Pavilion. We, We broke that game down last week. But I think it comes down to, you know, they got five players that average double figures. They've got some dynamic players on both offense and defense. Lauren Betts had, I think, five blocks against USC. Charisma Osborne helped lock up Juju Watkins. But I think it comes down on the defensive end for USC to slowing down Lauren Betts. You know, if you can stop her in the middle, you you, you have a chance, I think. She's averaging 16 points per game, nine rebounds, a little bit over two blocks. She did not have a dominant game. But when she got going, that's when the UCLA offense got going in that game. So I think slowing her down is the big key for me in this game. I'm just looking forward to seeing the adjustments that Lindsey Gottlieb makes. USC, they defended UCLA really well in that first game, but offensively just didn't score enough points. And then London Jones was the killer for UCLA making five three-pointers. She really was the difference. But yeah, you you also mentioned Lauren Betts there too. Rhea Marshall is going to have to 
improve defensively against her. Lindsay Gottlieb, this is the game. She rebuilt the program. This is the game to show that, hey, like we're 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 back. This is this is USC basketball and we're here to be reckoned with, or we're not to be reckoned with. So I I just want to see what she does coaching wise that is going to try to get UCLA uh, out of its groove a little bit because I I feel like UCLA did a nice job of sort of messing with USC's offense. Now it's time to uh, respond and it should be a great game. Yeah. It should be really fun to see the adjustments that each coach makes as well. The, you know, that because it's only two weeks apart, you know, that there's not like, Hey, it's two months apart and this is a completely different team. This person's playing so much better. This person's hurt. You know, it's two weeks apart. So, what adjustments is kind of, it, it feels much more like an NBA, you know, playoff series where, all right, the adjustments to get made throughout the, the, the duration of the series is what really determines who wins the series rather than just the, the straight, uh, you know, the, the stars of each team and who goes off in one, one game. So we'll see, you know, how that goes and we'll see if Juju Watkins bounces back. You know, remember we talked about it last week of this being the battle for LA and that being so important to her. So we'll see. But with that, we're going to jump into our break and then Connor and I are going to return. We'll have our special guest for the week, USC assistant coach Jay Morris joining us to discuss the Trojans and their recent, what is that? What was that called again? Connor? Oh, a win streak was called. Yes. We'll talk about that as well. Uh, we'll be right back uh, from our break and we'll have Jay Morris on to talk with us. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Welcome back from the break. Make sure to check out our sponsors and also please like, subscribe, review the podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. You know we love those five-star reviews. Also, if you have any questions, comments, requests, you can send them in to podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you put the USC triple-double or basketball pod in the headline to make sure it gets directed to Connor and I. With that, we're going to bring in our special guest this week. Normally, we have our guests earlier in the in the segment. This time, we're going to have, a, in the second half of the show, we'll have Jay Morris joining us, USC assistant coach. Came over from San Diego State, is coached at CSUN as well. He's from the area. He knows Southern California basketball like no one else around here. Jay, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Thank you guys for, for having me on. I'm excited to uh, have a, a discussion with you guys this morning. 
Now we have to get you on and we have to get Cap on because Andy Enfield doesn't do podcasts, even though he didn't realize that it wasn't a video thing. And then Eric Mobley is the 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 great white buffalo uh, of uh, of podcasts because I've tried for for three or four years now to get him on, and he'll tell me that he's going to do it, and then he sneaks out the back door. He's kind of like Jim Harbaugh in those uh, post game interviews where he answers one question and immediately brings a player in to uh to to take the take his place type of thing. So excited to have you on for the first time. Um, you know. Jay's been with the, the program for a couple of years now, coming over from San Diego State. Uh, what was it like? I, I guess I got to start with last year, actually. What was it like watching that San Diego State team make their run to the national championship game? Um, and, you know, some of the players that you helped recruit there and, you know, that team that you helped put together, uh, you know, starting uh, last season, what was that like for you as a coach, seeing your former players, seeing them have success? You know, I guess if you can't be there on the floor, that's probably the next best thing. Um, I got a chance to go to Houston. They invited me to a dinner. I got a chance to see some of the players, some of the families, some of the staff that I used to work with. Um, so it was uh, it was the next, the next best thing. I was excited to be able to see uh, the program accomplish what they did. Um, they are de- very deserving of it. Very good team. And for them to, uh, you know, leave me a ticket. I had a better ticket than uh, Coach Fisher, uh the first game. So um, <laughs> it was a, it was an awesome um, event to be a part of. And I was very excited for them to accomplish what they did. That's awesome that you were still able, able to be a part of it, coach looking at USC this season, win over Cal, win over Stanford, win streak now, first time since November, what's led to the team taking a step forward these last couple of games? I think, um, you know, you play well at different parts of the season. Different things happen that allow you to play well or play bad. And I think uh, we, we we caught some bad luck early. Um, and I think that the players finally realized that there is no way out of it unless they bond together and start doing the things needed to uh, get us some confidence and success rolling forward. And I think uh, there was a product of that this past uh, weekend. And uh, we have another opportunity to build on that tomorrow night versus Washington state. So um, they're in a good place. Hopefully, um, you know, a big thing of it is confidence and we played well offensively in both games. Um, we did some good things defensively, although uh, we allowed too many points and allowed the percentages to be too high, but you got to start somewhere. And I thought we got some stops when we needed. And our offense uh, fueled our defense, uh, which is probably going to be the story for the remainder of our season. Yeah, you mentioned confidence and, and you know, looking at the box scores and looking as the season progressed. The confidence, confidence is always huge in sports, but Kobe Johnson, for one, really struggled in that stretch for about four games. And, you know, I saw him after the Auburn game and just, you know, his head's down and the whole family was there. And just you could tell that his confidence, he was struggling with his confidence, but after the Cal game, making some threes, it seemed like he played on a different level against Stanford, and it looked like he was playing with a ton of confidence. And same thing with Isaiah Collier. So my question is, you know, when you have those guys that are struggling that you know are super talented, you know what they are capable of, how do you try to build their confidence up and give them opportunities to to be able to break out of it so that they can have the performances like we did see against Stanford with three, you know, three guards scoring over 20 points? Yeah, I think we uh we simplified some things a little bit uh offensively. Um didn't didn't run as many plays and kind of just kind of tried to focus in on a few things that we could be good at and just kind of one thing that we told them is, look, let's take it back. You guys grew up playing this game for fun and having fun. And I think with 
social media and all of the things that these guys have put on their shoulder these days in terms of draft status and whatever else you could think of. Um, you know, I, th I think everybody, um, including the coaches, we've just blocked out the outside noise. And um, that was our message. Like, go back to the game you guys fell in love with with kids. And it seemed like that's the way that all of them played. Isaiah Collier, Kobe Johnson included. I do think that's such a tough part of it, Coach. The outside noise, we saw it affect the football team a little bit, too. I can't imagine being a talented athlete and then after you have a game, good or bad, checking social media to see what people are saying. It's really hard to tune that out. So credit to you guys for doing that. I'm curious, has anything changed in practice after the Cal game? Andy Enfield talked about how the rotation got a little tightened because he was tired of the turnovers and tired of the missed shots. It seems like he sort of was like, okay, we're going to start over. We're going to do some things differently. What, what does practice look like recently? Uh, I think the guys have been a little more locked in. Um, you know, when you put together a new group, there are so many different personalities that people come from all kind of different walks of life. So I think it takes a minute for those things to get intertwined the way that it needs to, to be a, a high level team. And um, I think over the last couple of weeks, our, our veteran guys have, have understood that we got to lock in and pay, you know, pay attention to focus on detail. And um, they've been a little more vocal. Josh Morgan, I'd say he's been the most vocal that he's been since I've been around uh, the program. And I knew him before uh, I got here as well. But uh, the last week, he's been more vocal than he's been. Um, and so I, I think uh, along with Coach kind of tighten his rotation, some of the veteran guys have who that have been through it before have started to step up and be, be more vocal. And so it's not only coming from the coaches, it's coming from the guys who know how important it is to be locked in, dialed in to accomplish, accomplish what we're trying to uh, by the end of the season. Is that something that you can force as a coach, you know, for guys to speak up a little bit more, those veterans, because it felt like, you know, we, we mentioned the football team, but it felt very similar to the football team, a lot of expectations, not getting the results you want, and didn't feel like the chemistry was necessarily there early in the season. And part of that is you guys have had so many guys in and out of practice during your fall camp, you know, with Vince being out for the, you know, the offseason, Bronny's situation, and then, you know, mono and rolled ankles and all those type of things that it didn't feel like the team was playing very well together. It didn't feel like it was a, a cohesive unit. Whereas the last couple of games, it definitely has the sharing the basketball. I mean, you guys aren't turning the basketball over. That always helps, but the assists in that, that cow game, uh, just the ball movement itself. Is there a way that you guys can force that? Or is that something that just has to happen naturally? And you just hope that your veterans take that step forward and, and you know, uh, and, and help the team see what it needs to needs to be done. Yeah, I think uh, leadership and captivity, if that is a word, is is organic. I don't think as a coach you could force it. We've tried to tell guys to talk up and speak up and things like that. And um, use Josh for example. Use Josh for an example. Like we've told Josh to talk all, all the time, and this week we didn't say anything to him, and he became more vocal. So. I, I think that that stuff has to be organic. Uh, people have mentioned our team chemistry. I think our team chemistry is great. We went to Europe. Everybody got along, had a great time. But losing is poisonous. Mm -hmm. And when you start to lose, uh, I don't want to use the word doubt, but doubt creeps in and all kind of, you know, outside noise What we mentioned earlier. I think a lot of things creep in to make it seem like the unit may not be cohesive. I think this is one of the you know, best teams that I've been around in terms of that. But like I said, losing is poisonous. And so 
once you, they get fed up or we get fed up enough and understand that we are good enough um, to accomplish what everybody thought that we were, uh, you know, could, could do early in the year. Uh, once it gets to a point and everybody understands that, then we can start to work in the other direction, which I think we've uh, hopefully um, got to and started to see earlier on um, this week. So, no, I don't think it'd be that's, – that's not a coach thing. I think it's an organic thing amongst the players, and I think we've reached that point, and um, I think it was displayed this past week. Coach, how have your SoCal roots helped you as a recruiter? you got Trent Perry coming in, a local guy next season. I know with all the talent in Southern California, I'm sure that's been a big help. Yeah, I've been doing this for a long time. Uh, I've kind of um, tried to um, be uh, mindful that a good reputation is is worth something. And I think uh, this is year 17 for me. Um, and to be in this business 17 years is tough uh, in itself. So I, I do like to think that I've done things the right way. I started all the way at the bottom um, entry level position and worked my way up. And through that, I've got a chance to I uh, meet a lot of people that have um, some influence um, um, in in helping me recruit. And I've, I've I've done a good job over my 17 years in college basketball in that. But right now, the, the, the landscape is changing in the relationships and all of that. That doesn't mean as much as it did before um, with NIL and transfer portal and so on and so forth. So it's helped me get here this far. Uh, but now I'm going to probably have to reinvent myself and uh, try to figure out a way to uh, get me 17 more years in this deal. When when you're going through your coaching career, like you said, you started in, on a, a non-coaching uh, position um, and has, have worked your way up, but you stayed in California the entire time. Now, you did go to, to, to NorCal for a little bit, but mostly Southern California. When the opportunity comes up and Andy Enfield reaches out and says, hey, we're interested in you, what is that moment like for you? And, you know, what was it like taking that next step going from, you know, a mid-major to a, you know, a power five uh, program? Yeah, it was uh, kind of surreal. Um, I grew up about seven miles from USC. My mom still lives there. Um, my wife is a USC alum. Um, so the opportunity to, to work for a prestigious university like this, um, it was surreal when I did get the call. Um, to Coach Infield's credit and to San Diego State's credit, I I don't think I would have left San Diego State if it wasn't for Andy Infield. Uh, didn't the the allure of USC is is pretty cool, but I had a pretty good situation where I was. But what Coach has done in terms of sustainability at USC, um, who he is as a person, I met him uh, 11 years ago when he got here. Two of the guys that he first hired were uh, some of my best friends that I grew up with. So I I had a a real relationship with coach outside of basketball. And so um, for me at this point of my career, I want to be around like-minded people, people who um, want to do it the right way, who who value family and, and, and coach embodied all those things uh, as well as um, has turned this program around. And I, I've seen it again, growing up around the corner, I've seen it all the way in the opposite direction from where it is now. So um, I tell people all the time I'm living a dream. Coach, one other question about your roots, playing at Westchester. What did you learn from Ed Azam? And I believe you were on his staff after graduating college for a little bit. Just what has he meant to you, a legendary coach in Southern California? Uh, he means uh, everything. I wouldn't be uh, in this position today without him. But um, skip no steps. Um, I remember when we first started our first month of basketball, you didn't touch a basketball. And so 
the fundamentals. If you watch me work somebody out, like uh, I, I'm still old school in that sense. I think that I value fundamentals. I think that was um, a product of playing for coach. Um, uh, a discipline factor, understanding that um, you don't coach everybody the same, but everybody has to produce the same, you know, um, thing, thing, things of that nature. Um, the coach, um, he had a factory going over there. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm thankful because I didn't think I wanted to be a coach. And uh, just being up there at the school, I was running my fitness business out of the school. And he, you know, being up there all the time, he said, why don't you come help out? And I, I had always worked with youth. Um, I didn't think that I wanted to be a coach, but being around um, the basketball team at Westchester High School and, and watching coach coach as a coach and not being a player, um, I did realize that's what I wanted to do. And he made a call for me to give me my first job. So I'm definitely, definitely forever indebted to him. You mentioned fundamentals. So we've got to ask about the defense. Uh, what does it take for you guys? You know, the defense has been the calling card the last few years for USC and has been the thing that has really carried the team, even on an off shooting night or when you can't get, you know, multiple guys scoring 20 points like you did the other night. What does it take for this defense to to take those steps to improve for this team to potentially make a run um, this season and you know be able to get into NCAA tournament position? Yeah, um, to be honest with you, I mean we're we're doing the same drills, it's the same focus. Um, I just think that um, some of the players that had played in the past that was more instinctual for them, and so like I mentioned earlier. Um, I think our offense is going to have to fuel our defense. And I think the last couple games, like I said, in terms of um, getting necessary stops when we need to, guys being uh, making multiple efforts, um, guys thing, seeing things a half second before they happen, I think those things are starting to take place because we're playing better on offense, to be quite honest. And, um, you know, to be a great defense, I think you have to have instinctual defenders. And some of the guys – that we have not saying that they don't want to play defense, but some of them, Isaiah Collier is a freshman. There's a big difference be, between going to play um, against, you know, one division, one player on the other team. Now you're playing against five. You you can't take a, a, a moment off. You have to be engaged the entirety of the possession. Um, and so when you have these different components working against you, you got to kind of figure it out. And I think this team, uh, we have so much offensive firepower that when we play better offensively, we'll play better defensively. And um, some nights, you know, I know you're not going to have it offensively, but if we if we have it more times than not, I think the defense will start to become more instinctual because we have guys with with pretty good and decent IQs. They just have to have some confidence against some stops. Um, and the better we are offensively, the better we'll be defensively. Being in this business 17 years, maybe you've seen it all, but has this season taught you anything or have you learned anything new from an up and down beginning to the year so far? Uh, the one thing that I told the players is the things that have happened to us this this so far in this season, we can't um, can't overlook it. We have to use it as fuel and education to, to get us better. And if we can do that, uh, I think we can salvage this thing. Um, you know, so again, we we've talked about losing leads in the past. Um, you know, coming out of, of, of halftime. And so if we use those as experience to help us um, in the future, the, the, uh, the part of the season to come, um, I do think things can get fixed and, and, and get us right where we need to be playing well at the end of the season. And that's when you re really want to be playing well. One last question for you, Jay. Thank you so much for taking the time with us. 
big important stretch coming up. We, we've talked about it already on the podcast a little bit, and even last week, you know, playing Washington State, got to take care of business against them, a team that struggled the last couple of games, but has some talent on there, especially Miles Rice. Great to see him back, by the way. Um, and then going on the road. Going on the road in conference play is always a difficult thing to do, but you guys go to Colorado, you go to Arizona, which is always difficult, and then Arizona State, which I said last week, will be a one-possession game with a minute to go because that's what it always is between USC and Arizona State. So with this stretch coming up, what is the most important thing for this team to do to be able to have success on that road trip and you know against Washington State uh, on Wednesday night? Um. To be honest with you, uh, just take it one game at a time. I think um, going into the season, everybody, including us, looked at the season as a whole and see how much success that we could potentially have. And I think we lost focus of beating a Long Beach State or beating a Brown like we could have, which could have helped our net and different things like that. So I think we have to take it one game at a time. Um, each coach is assigned to a game and they can look a little further in the future, try to pick out some things that will help us. Um, when that game comes, but uh, the message to the team has to be take it one game at a time. And um, if you look at it that way, um, I think we could be successful. Don't want to get too far ahead of our, ourselves. We had two games and don't want to think we've arrived. And so just take it one game at a time. And hopefully we look up uh, sometime in, in you know early March and we have a great seed going into the Pac-12 tournament and uh, win a couple games there and 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 make it you know ha- have our name called on selection sunday and i think if that is if we're able to do that uh there will be very talk very uh little talk about uh, some of the stumbles that we had early on in the season Jay, thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it, and we look forward to seeing how this team can continue to build and grow as the rest of the season goes on. And we thank you so much for for taking the time to join us. Anytime. Appreciate you guys uh, having me on. Um, Great way to start my morning. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of the USC Triple Double Podcast, part of the Pear Style Podcast family. But, Connor, I can't let you get out of here without asking you about what Jay Morris said. What stood out to you in our interview? What caught your eye, caught your ear from our discussion with him? Well, I loved hearing about how Josh Morgan is being more vocal and taking Mm -hmm. more of a leadership role, maybe the biggest role he's taken in his college career. That was awesome to hear from from Coach Morris. And I think that's a big reason why Josh is starting and is is settled in. I think it kind of reminds me of the Alabama quarterback situation a little bit where at the beginning of the year, you, you don't really know who's the guy. Josh maybe wasn't playing as well, and now they're relying on him, and he's back to being that guy for USC, and I think his leadership is a big part of it. Also, just the fact that the leadership void, that needed to be improved organically and defensively. They're still doing a lot of the same drills. I, I, I thought it was kind of nice. Like, yeah, the coaching staff, we, we're basketball experts, but we can only do so much. At the end of the day, the players – need to adjust to not looking at social media and need to come together. And that I, I thought it was refreshing that he did put it on the players a little bit, because I think this season that has been a problem, a, a bunch of the stuff I just hit on there. So we'll see if they can turn it around and I think they got the blueprint for it now after a couple wins. Yeah, it was great to hear that Josh Morgan stepped forward, a guy who's, who's not necessarily a, a very vocal person just in general is a you know pretty uh, quiet guy in that regard, but to see him step forward, if that's what it takes, hopefully that will be the the thing that can can make them uh, can make the big adjustment as the season goes along. But I thought it was very interesting that you mentioned their offense is going to have to fuel their defense. Yeah. I don't know that that's a recipe for success, 
But when you have Boogie Ellis and you have Isaiah Collier, there's a lot of offense that can be fueling the defense there. You know, those guys can create, and especially if they can start connecting a little bit more when transition, you start getting some of those big highlight plays like we saw Isaiah Collier throwing an oop to uh, to Bronny James. Maybe you just, it just gets the energy in the building, and if they start getting a little bit of momentum, you're going to win back the crowd because of the Bronny effect. You're going to have that home crowd, but you got to win a couple more games. And if they can do that, then then really the offense can fuel the defense because those big highlight plays just gets everyone amped up that much more. So we'll see if that's something that that can work or if it ends up being a recipe for disaster because if the you know if they have an off shooting night or whatnot. We'll see. That's the the name of the game right now. You gotta turn things around. The rubber's hitting the road. The road trip is the big moment, of course. You can't slip up against Washington State before that. But uh, yeah, I think. The story of the season should unfold these next four games, and I hope it's a good ending. Yeah, very interesting weekend for USC. First, first, the men's team needs to take care of business against Washington State. As we mentioned, that's a huge game. Can't lose another game like that at home. But then at Colorado for the men, the women at home against UCLA should be an awesome weekend of college basketball for the USC men's and women's teams. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Triple Double Podcast. Make sure you guys are helping us out. Like, share, subscribe. Leave us a review on your podcast listening platform. Also, we always welcome your feedback, comments, or questions at podcast at uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, saying thank you to Jay Morris for joining us and to everyone taking the time to listen. Also, thank you to my co-host, Mr. Triple Double himself, Connor Morissette. Hopefully, you all be back to join us for the next episode of the USC Triple Double Podcast.